I'm Nick Park, and this is the XXXY Files, a series of messages, podcasts, and videos from Evangelical Alliance Ireland on sexuality and gender, helping and equipping Christians to hold and share a biblical position with clarity and love. File 8, Not of This World. In our last episode, I addressed the disturbing and widespread public perception that Christians are hypocrites who preach morality and righteousness but fail to practice what we preach. Let me stress that I believe most Christians do indeed live by biblical morality and sexual ethics, but persistent, prominent scandals create a very different impression. Celebrity culture can create a sense of entitlement where successful and famous people feel that the rules and standards that apply to ordinary people don't apply to them. We see this in the world on a daily basis, and for some reason, this seems to have invaded the church. Our culture of Christian celebrities and our notions of what constitutes success in ministry sometimes owes more to the world than it does to the Holy Spirit. The answer is not just that we all try harder to be holy. Holiness grows from a relationship with Jesus Christ. The problem is not that Christians in general have a loose morality, but that we have bought into worldly attitudes to leadership, success, celebrity, politics and culture. We are in the world and we are all too often of the world, even though Jesus said we should not be. Then in those areas where we have maintained scriptural values that are very different from those of the world, we experience great conflict and anguish, and then everything gets messy. Politicians have learned that they can exploit the church by recruiting us to their causes. In effect, they buy our loyalty by promising to meet some of our pressing concerns. Then they expect us to demonstrate our loyalty by going along with their concerns, some of which have nothing to do with the gospel, and some of which are opposed to biblical principles and values. And sadly, it appears as if the church can be for sale. We looked last week at the amazing power of the early church to challenge and transform many of the cruel and corrupt values and practices of imperial Rome. Yet the church later entered into a partnership with the empire. The emperor Constantine promised an end to persecution and a share in the power of the state. The church accepted the offer, and the newfound toleration must have been a great relief, but it gave the empire an ever-increasing power over the church. The church became ritualistic and even started persecuting others. The Reformation promised a return to biblical beliefs and values, but the reformers discovered that they needed the political protection of powerful princes. Martin Luther operated under the protection of Philip of Hesse. This certainly helped prevent Luther from suffering the fate of Jan Hus, who was executed a century earlier for his similar reforming zeal, but it created problems when Philip committed bigamy, and it was reported that Luther encouraged him to deny it with a good, bold lie. Luther regretted this incident, but when the church is for sale, there is a price to be paid. In the 1930s, Christians were courted by the Nazis. There was already a tragic anti-Semitism that was grounded in some of Luther's writings, and many Christians had bought into a nationalism that what was good for Germany was good for the church. But the Nazis skillfully allied themselves with the church in opposing communism, and communism was obviously godless and a threat to Christianity. 
And the Nazis also suppressed homosexuality and other forms of sexual immorality and were applauded by both Protestant and Catholic bishops for doing so. And in the end, millions of German Christians went along with the Nazis with devastating consequences. Today, we evangelicals love to stress the heroic resistance of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Confessing Church, but they were a minority. Today, there's a real danger that the church is for sale again. There is a culture war raging. Unlike previous culture wars, this is not about a single issue. It is multifaceted and is not primarily about religion. It is about left versus right. Modern communication and social media have enabled this culture war to cross national boundaries in an unprecedented way. This culture war is intensifying and each side becomes more extreme in its positions. And as a result, there is little desire for genuine discussion of what is right or wrong. It is easier to dismiss the other side as evil and to seek their destruction. It becomes harder to discuss issues on the basis of whether something is right or wrong because more and more of us are taking positions based on whether we are right or left. Rather than looking at what Jesus or indeed scripture in general says about an issue, it's easier to condemn people for being far left, far right, fundamentalist or woke. As the left has moved further left, it is difficult to see why any evangelical Christian would identify with this side. Even those on the left who previously identified as pro-life, for example, now seem to be falling over themselves to make access to abortions easier. It is easier to see, however, why many Christians are tempted to throw in their lot with the right in the culture war. The promise is that if they are successful, then unborn babies will be protect protected and that public life will prioritise heterosexual values. If not, Christian family values, such as abstinence before marriage or faithfulness within marriage. The problem is that fighting the culture war on either side involves buying into the whole package, not just standing for human life and family values. The expectation is that we support their positions on nationalism, on tax cuts, on the minimum wage, on free health care or college education, on immigration, on gun ownership, on climate change, etc., these are all subjects that require prayerful consideration and sincere Bible-believing Christians will reach different conclusions. But once you have declared sides in the culture war, it becomes very difficult indeed to think for yourself. The more we buy into any political ideology, be it right or left, the more worldly we become. And like Martin Luther, we become more willing to support our political allies even in their sin. This is not about who we vote for. My vote is between my conscience and God, and how anybody else votes is none of my business. But it is about who we endorse. It is about who we act as cheerleaders for. It is about whether we are more concerned with right and wrong or with right and left. We need to keep speaking out on the issues that matter. And we need to build respectful relationships with politicians of all parties and opinions to enlist their support on the issues that matter. We need to stand up for the vulnerable and the oppressed. We need to protect children. We need to defend the rights of parents to raise their children in their faith. We need to defend our right to hold, express and live by biblical values. 
If we fail to do the hard thinking and the robust theology to wrestle with these issues, then we have become like the world. Whether we are right or left won't matter because our salt will have lost its savour. If we take the easy option of going along with any one side of the culture war, then we risk our freedoms and rights being diminished. Much worse, the issues that really matter are reduced to just another political football. And that would be the ultimate betrayal of the unborn child, the lost sinner, or the confused young person that needs to see Jesus through us. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We will no doubt be criticised, but I believe with all my heart that the church can fulfil this mandate and be a prophetic and transformational voice in society. The church managed it 2,000 years ago, and we can do so again. So let's not be blown off course by culture wars. Feel free to get in touch with me at nick at evangelical.ie. As I say each week, I want to avoid misunderstandings, and if there are aspects that we're missing out and need to cover, then I'd love to know about that. When I teach this kind of material in a seminar or a conference, then we usually have question and answer sessions. So please do feel free to get in touch if you need something clarified or have a concern, a criticism or a word of encouragement. And do join us next week for message number nine in the XXXY files. We're going to address how to deal with issues that might arise for parents and indeed for teachers in our schools due to ideological pressures to do with sexuality and gender. And we want to consider how we can help our children who, not through their own choice, may find themselves in the crossfire of controversy. <laughs>